Hello and welcome to Euractive's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Julia Dam. And I'm Natasha Foote. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU. This week, all things Ukraine and grain, cat plan approvals and the sustainable use of pesticides regulation debate. So hello and welcome back after summer. Feels good to be back, no, Julia? Yeah, indeed. It's been a long time, long time no here, we should say. Yeah, yeah, long time no here. Exactly. Of course, we're not actually fully back because we are missing uh, a key member of our team, Gerardo, who is uh, currently enjoying a nice holiday, well-deserved. He's uh, resting up before quite a big (laughs) end of the year with lots of things going on. So uh, that's quite wise of him, I would say. But it does feel a little bit weird to be alone in the podcast studio, I have to say. It feels a little bit lonely. <laughs> I'm, I'm used to it. I'm always alone, you know. Oh, it's true. I know. I know. Well, next week you'll be here and that will be nice to have all three of us back in, exactly, the, true. in the studio. We'll be united. <laughs> but we've definitely uh, come back with a bit of a bang this week. I, I thought it was going to be a nice, gentle easing back after our summer holidays, but there's been a whole host of things going on this week, uh, not least of which include the first CAP plan approvals. Woo. Whoa, we've been waiting for this for a long time. Uh, God, it feels like I've been discussing this for forever. Um, <laughs> since All the this time spent on uh, will they, won't they, when will they approve? Yeah, all and the back and forth. And here we are, the first package. So it's the first seven countries that we've had uh, this week getting the Commission seal of approval. Uh, so that includes Denmark, Finland, France, Ireland, Poland, Portugal and Spain. So congrats to those countries getting their cap plan approved. Um, but there are actually more hot on their heels because uh, according to the the Commission, apparently there's plenty more to come uh, in the coming weeks. So that's something to be watch, watching for. So just a quick refresher for anyone that needs it, anyone that's feeling a little bit sleepy after the summer or just thinking, hmm, cap plan sounds familiar, not sure what that is. Um, these are the plans uh, that are in the new cap reform. Uh, through which member states will set out an individualised action plan of how they intend to meet the nine objectives of the Common Agricultural Policy Reform, which will enter into force on the 1st of January 2023. But this whole process, this is the very first time that we've ever had something like these CAP plans. Uh, It's one of the main innovations of this new CAP reform. Um, And the design and the adoption of these plans, I think it's fair to say, has been anything but plain sailing. (laughs) We had... That is fair to say. From the beginning, we had delays and people, you know, different member states were delayed in getting their plans, their drafts to the commission. And then, of course, we had the outbreak of uh, the Ukraine war, which has just thrown a massive spanner in the works, sent loads, all the plans back to the drawing board for an overhaul. So there's been a lot of back and forth between the commission and member states. And of course, this whole time, farmers were really stressing that we needed to get these cap plans approved as quickly as possible because, you know, of course, the farmers need some certainty going forward. Um, You know, what's in store for them for the new year? They need to plan. Um, And so there was a lot of pressure on the commission to get these cap plans approved. uh, And also they were it was such a shake-up going on. Um, so a little, that's a little bit of background. Of course, we'll be here to be doing a little bit more of analysis, looking at what these plans actually entail, how different they are from their drafts. Um, uh, with the help of our network, we'll be digging into these plans a lot more, but expect more to come in the following weeks. So we've already talked a bit about how it's uh, kind of back to school this week um, <laughs> and how we're easing into or not 
that easing into uh, into. the workflow again yeah (laughs) plunging into into things again and indeed actually uh the european parliament also plunged right into right back into things again this week um with a session that uh, was actually the first uh, session after the break and the first item in that session was one that was not easy and uh, smooth at all it was uh, quite the contentious uh, quite fiery yeah yes i quite- had the imp- I had the impression that MEPs had really were like rested very well over the summer and come back with like fully charged batteries, just ready to <laughs> in fight mode, ready to all geared up, ready to go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So this, um, of course, this very emotional, very contentious topic uh, is the pesticides, uh, uh, use of pesticides and the reduction of the use of pesticides that the commission has proposed. Um, some of you may remember before the summer, the commission uh, put forth this proposal to reduce both the use and uh, the impact of pesticides by 50% by 2030. And of course, that's caused a lot of stir. And one of the main issues that were kind of raised, one of the main concerns is about food security and uh, food production, what impact this is going to have. And the session in the European Parliament was actually the presentation of an impact assessment on this this proposal, uh, presented by uh, a representative from uh, DG Sante, which is the commission DG that's in, in charge of this file. Poor guy. Um, I always yeah. felt sorry for him. Yeah, not an easy task. <laughs> no. So basically he was coming to the parliament to explain to MEPs what are going to be the the impacts of this proposal when everyone is, when that's basically what everyone's discussing, what are going to be the impacts of this proposal and are they going to be bad or not. Um, and he was, yeah, met with an avalanche of criticism from MEPs after his presentation. He was, yeah, um, completely, completely flooded with criticism. I actually I think, remember this. Oh, yeah, I think you're about to say the same thing as I am. <laughs> I remember this moment where commit, the committee chair, Norbert Lynch, yeah. after the presentation or after a few comments was saying, yeah, guys, we would actually plan for like three people to speak, but now basically everyone's everyone signaled they want to speak all the committee every single member uh yeah so it was crazy everyone had something to say and the main point of um criticism that was raised by many of the um parliamentary groups were basically that this key point um there are many people are worried about this impact on food production was barely raised by the commission presentation and by this um impact report um, so the commission representative gave an overview of the different policy options, um, kind of, yeah, a bit, obviously he was saying that more ambitious options obviously have higher costs, but he didn't really go into, de- into detail about what these costs would be. So many of the MEPs were, um, were a bit disappointed that he didn't give further details on what impact this, um, 50% reduction would have on agricultural yields. Um, for example, um, committee chair Norbert Linz said after the presentation that uh, he thought it was very significant uh, that within 10 minutes, um, the commission representative never mentioned the security of food supply and the food, future situation of food security. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the, the criticism that MEPs had. But um, the commission representative um, argued that um, first of all, this impact assessment was done before the start of the Ukraine war, so no one could have known that there's a completely different situation now in terms of food supply and that basically food supply has become much more of an issue um, mm. on the agenda than before. And secondly, he was saying that in any case, um, 
and I quote, we do not have the luxury of not acting. So basically his point was, um, we cannot relax any environmental rules. We have to be ambitious um, because it's just that uh, that urgent to act. That was his, um, his line of um, argument, which was also supported by the Greens, who were one of uh, one of the only ones who actually supported the presentation and didn't didn't take him apart. The only ones that had a nice word to say about exactly. the impact assessment. And actually, Yulia has a very nice write-up. I'll just do a little plug for you here. A very nice write-up of this um, on Euractive. So be sure to check out that article. You're listening to Euractive's Agri-Food Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on youactive.com forward slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge in other fields, you can also listen to our digital brief podcast and our Beyond the Byline podcast. And if you have any comments or ideas, you can email us at podcast at youactive.com. So next up, I'm very happy to welcome back our colleague Jaroslava Bukta to the podcast, and she's going to bring us up to speed after this um, summer break on what's been happening in Ukraine um, concerning harvests, concerning uh, wheat shipments, seaports, everything you need to know uh, on what's been going on over the summer. Okay, so what has been happening in Ukrainian agriculture in August? In short, harvesting campaign in Ukraine is almost over, with lower numbers compared to last year, seaports functioning but with a huge dose of uncertainty, and set predictions for a new sowing campaign due to high prices for Ukrainian farmers for logistics, fertilizers, fuel, pesticides, seeds and lack of storage, and of course ongoing war. So now let's take a closer look at some of the key aspects and numbers. To begin with, Ukraine was almost untouched by the droughts happening in the EU. Nevertheless, the harvest is expected to be lower here than in 2021 due to the consequences of the full-scale Russian invasion, like occupation mining of the fields and fires. As of the end of August, Ukraine has already harvested 25 million tons of grains, with harvest expected to reach up to 67 million tons in 2022, compared to 85 million tons in 2021. Out of these 67 millions, Ukraine will be able to export up to 40-45 million tons of cranes, depending on how available the export will be, uh, and these numbers are not that bad. The Ukrainian Deputy Minister of Agriculture Taras Vysotsky mentioned that Ukrainian exports will be able to partly cover the decrease in the EU harvests happening this year caused by droughts. And this will be especially important when it comes to corn for the European livestock sector to be able to survive during next months. In general, harvests in Ukraine in 2022 are lower as the result of both weather conditions and the consequences of war, such as grain losses, inability to collect grains, uh, grain and machinery stolen by Russia. Another huge issue in terms of this year's harvesting and future sowing is that around 4 million hectares of Ukrainian agricultural lands are mined. When it comes to demining, first in a queue are cities and towns where, where people leave fields or are only next, which postpones the process. And also um, don't forget about high price for the process and time that it takes. Also, as another Ukrainian deputy minister of agriculture, Markian Dmitrosevich, has mentioned, even on the demined areas, threats still exist, with Russians firing upon Ukrainian territories through the border. 
therefore around 8 million tons of wheat, so important for some African Middle East countries that like depend on Ukrainian wheat exports up to 100%, is simply lost. Another issue remains the lack of storage facilities. It is estimated that Ukrainian farmers can count on 75 million tons of storage capacity under normal circumstances. So uh, 67 million tons of expected harvest should be able to fit in. But around one third of these were filled with last year's harvest that was not exported due to seaports blockade. Some of those storage facilities were damaged by weapons or are at the moment in the occupied territories. So as for now, Ukrainian farmers lack up to 20 million tons of storage capacities. Partly, the storage capacity issue may be resolved with increasing grain exports from Ukraine. According to Taras Vysotsky, Ukraine hopes to export up to 8 million tons of grains till the end of November, thus freeing the space for the new harvest. The end of July has brought a huge breakthrough in Ukrainian grain exports when the so-called grain deal was signed, unlocking three of Ukrainian seaports for exporting agricultural products, Chernomorsk, Odessa and Pivdenny. Um, as a reminder, previously Ukraine was exporting its grain via so-called solidarity lanes introduced by the EU as a set of measures to facilitate Ukrainian grain exports. Uh, seaport's deplicate has almost immediately led to global grain prices decrease, bringing some relief to the market and to Ukrainian farmers as well, because logistics prices have fallen by 15 to 20 percent, according to Vysotsky. This is far from pre-war war level still, but this is something. Seaport exports allowed Ukraine to reach 4.5 million tons of grain, having been exported from the country in August, mainly corn. Uh, as a reminder, before war, Ukraine was exporting um, up to 6 million tons of grain per month. This is a very promising route in terms of increasing exports, which, however, leaves some security questions. Thus, next day after the grain deal was signed, Russia shelled one of the seaports facilities in Ukraine. Another attack happened just recently. A huge part of uh, uncertainty remains when we are talking about security issues here. Nevertheless, according to Taras Vysotsky, more and more companies are willing to send ships to Ukrainian seaports to load them with grain. The insurance issue and uh, willingness or, uh, to send ships it's still a challenge, but we already see that uh, insurance price has decreased in three times when you talk about black seaports. But still, it's since the 22nd of July, fortunately, it's already more than one month, but it's safely shipped. And our international partners, first of all, United Nations and uh, uh, Turkey, uh, are the guarantees of this security. So we, uh, so far, we don't have, we don't see it as a bottleneck, very critical. We see that the uh, number of ships and ships owners willing to come to Black Sea ports is increasing. Finally, when it comes to predictions, most likely the already mentioned issues with security, logistics, storage will remain for Ukraine. At their low internal prices for wheat, increased fuel, pesticides and fertilizer prices, and of course war with rockets, mines and like physical threat. And the picture for Ukrainian farmers and for Ukraine um, becomes really gloomy, especially in light of future sowing campaigns. 
Markian Dmitrosevich says that up to 30 to 60 percent of Ukrainian arable lands will not be cropped due to challenges faced by the farmers. If the situation with internal uh, prices for grains will not change, we estimate that 30 to 60 percent uh, less uh, um, areas will be uh, cropped for next season. When it comes to exports, Ukrainian part emphasizes the importance of the so-called solidarity lanes I already mentioned launched earlier this year in May. For example, new grain terminals are expected to be constructed on the borders with the usage of the same equipment for grain loaning as in seaports due to the necessity to reload grain because of the different gauge widths between Ukraine and the EU. As a reminder, uh, now railways are one of the main routes by which Ukraine is, export- is exporting its grain. Uh, also tracks, also Danube ports and of course seaports recently deblocked. Altogether, this may help Ukraine to reach around pre-full-scale war export numbers and the food security situation become better. However, this will be a sum-up expressed by Markian Dmitrosevich. There is only one way to have any guarantees about the future. The best way to uh, improve the situation in agriculture in Ukraine uh, that impacts uh, world food security is to defeat Russian army on our territory and to completely deblock our seaports in Ukraine uh, so we can balance this situation with prices and export capacity in Ukraine. So for this week's Flavor of the Week, we hear from Ming Young Kwan, who works in cultural events management at the Korean Cultural Centre in Brussels, to explore a very special Korean festival celebrated around harvest time. So what is this festival and why is it celebrated? Chuseok, also known as Korean Thanksgiving Day, is one of the most important and festive holiday of the year. Chuseok falls on the nearest full moon to the fall equinox, known as a harvest moon. On this day, families gather to enjoy time together and give thanks to their ancestors for the plentiful harvest. The holiday has still linked to Korea's agricultural past and its custom of ancestral worship. And what would you traditionally do and eat to celebrate Chuseok? Most families returning to their hometown visit graveyard, tiny their ancestors' homes, and gather to make songpyeon, a special rice cake that symbolizes familiar bones. Koreans celebrate Chuseok by making special food, particularly a certain kinds of rice cake called songpyeon. Songpyeon is made with finely ground new rice and filled with sesame seeds, chestnut, red beans, or other similar ingredients. On the eve of Chuseok, family members gather to make songpyeon together, illustrating the importance of family in Korean society. So that's all from us this week. And this week, the AgriFood podcast was produced by Euractiv's AgriFood team. That's Natasha Foote, Yulia Dam, and Yaroslava Bukta with the support of Evie Curie. This podcast is also available on all major streaming platforms, including Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Be sure to subscribe to our AgriFood brief so you don't miss the latest agriculture news from the EU. I'm Yulia Dam. Thanks for listening and see you next week.